You're listening to the Irish Times. It's such a big weekend of sport that we actually got around to giving this podcast a name. So it's going to be called Added Time. I am Maliki Clerken and I'm here with producer Pat Nugent. We got a name, Pat. We did, yeah. We um, got suggestions in there, uh, dozens from listeners. Literally fives of names were sent <laughs> in to us. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I think some of the suggestions were serious, some were sneering, and mm. it was very hard actually to tell the difference between both of those two categories. <laughs> I, my distinction was between some of them that were half decent and the others that were crap. That's another way of distinguishing it, yeah. Yeah, let's go through some of them. Well, actually... I really like one that came from right off the top. A guy called Kieran Gagan sent in the shamuzzle, which I thought was. You say shamuzzle, I say shamuzzle. Well, let's call it off. That's which is what happened. Kieran didn't win, I'm afraid. Uh, ben Wood suggested the gantry. Ben Dundon suggested a one that I liked called the fry pod. I love the fry pod. Unfortunately, I think the fry pod should be kept back for a podcast about going around Ulster getting fried eggs and bacon and soda farls. <laughs> should be called the fry pod high. And that's that's the way to do it. I think it'd be wasted on us. Fair enough. Yeah, we, we can move. Well, again, Ben didn't win. Ger Siggins, this was definitely a sneery one. He sent in off the boil. I don't get it. Uh, yeah, well, I don't understand that one either. Kevin O'Connor suggested that we call it Sports News Talk to just stick it to the man. Which, I don't get again, that I don't either. understand that no, either. Never heard of that. And then Endo Dowd, Sporty Mac Sports Face, Seamus Power, Podcast Mac Podface. These are kind of predictable. Really, of a aren't theme, they? really, yeah. Uh, Ozzy Ryan wanted hurlers on the ditch. I like it. Bit too sports specific. Mm. <laughs> we also had suggestions from Derek McGrath. I'm assuming not the Waterford manager. But oh, I totally presumed it was the Waterford manager. It, it could have been. Derek maybe. loves the press. And Derek is a smart guy. And I, I, all these are kind of smart as well. This was the Backpages podcast. Full court press. I like it. Except it was taken. Uh, get the ball rolling. The early bath. Uh, they're all good suggestions. Mm-hmm. One of my favourites came from Joe O'Shea. He suggested that we call it the Joachim Kelly Power Hour. I think we're going to call it that in brackets, in our heads. Yeah. When we talk, about, that's what we call our WhatsApp group. We call it the Joachim Kelly Power Hour. Uh, Cormac McCarthy suggested third captains. Don't get it. No. Uh, Rowan McCormack from upstairs in this building suggested first captains. What is it with captains? Like who, who would name anything after captains? I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand the reference. A weird thing. Um, but we did end up with a winner then at the end of it all. Uh, Thomas Kenny, uh, so he had two suggestions, extra times and added times, which we're shortening down to added time. Added time, okay. Well done, Thomas. Although I, I have a problem with giving uh, Thomas a prize. I know we promised a prize, but uh, I, I saw along with his uh, suggestion, he says, for episode two, talk rugby with Comiskey. He doesn't even use Comiskey's first name, which I, you know. Uh, talk rugby for Comiskey with 10 minutes, and every time he mentions the Leinster, Leinster Senior Cup or Sexton, taser him, also have an ambulance outside. Now, that's fine. I slag Gavin Comiskey as much as the next man. But I'm not sure we should be giving prizes to somebody from outside the building that's having a go at one of our writers. I think Thomas got extra points for sass. There is quite a bit of sass yeah. in that. Comiskey's going to be cross with us. <laughs> I'm sure he'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's, he doesn't take things well. He doesn't take criticism well. <laughs> Thomas wins vouchers, uh, we should say, uh, for um, one for all voucher and then a Just Eat voucher if he contacts 
Malachi Clerkin through Twitter, we, we can get them to him that way. Splendid. Those are the sort of vouchers people can re-gift for uh, 21st birthday presents and Christmas and all that sort of That's exactly on. what they are. Good man, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Well, to the person in Thomas Kenny's life who is going to get these vouchers passed on to them, congratulations to you. And uh, congratulations, Thomas, for calling us added time. That's who we are and that's who we will be. On today's show, there's so much sport on. Like, we're really not going to get around to to the most of it. We're going to have uh, Sean Moran and Jackie Tyrrell in in a while to talk about the GAA weekend. But there's only one place to start. Ireland play France in Paris tomorrow in the Six Nations. We have Jerry Thornley is already in Paris, and we'll be talking to him in a second. But first of all, Gordon Darcy has come into studio. Thanks very much, Gordon. My pleasure. Excited? Yeah, starting to get there. Um, the... Six Nations, it kind of just kind of springs out of nowhere. You kind of when you're when you're outside of it, you kind of reading little bits in the paper and just move straight in European Cup top fourteen or Pro fourteen, and then and straight into it. And bang, bang, bang! Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, Jerry, the uh, you're in Paris. The uh, Parisian air is crisp as the baguettes over there. I take it. Yeah, it's got. It was really nice actually um, arriving yesterday evening to do a bit of light around, clear blue skies, a bit of sunshine, you feel what it's like. Yeah, it's really nice weather here, despite it being early February. Really well, nice, um, clear blue skies, lovely sunny weather. No sign of any, not too many Irish fans around, and not much sense of the rugby happening just yet. Well, later. We're all very happy for you, Jerry. Um, tell me this, uh, you were in Carton House during the week, and uh, you had time actually to sit down one-on-one with Joe Schmidt, which he, he hasn't done very often. How did you get on? Yeah, I was a bit... Um, surprised to have the request granted um very surprised that it, he gave me so much time pretty much gave me an hour of his time on tuesday and um really good chat i enjoyed the chat immensely because it's not something i've um, managed to be able to do with joe since early in his leinster days so that must be like seven years ago yeah. thereabouts and um surprised to have the audience the great man and he was in he was very chatty very amiable um good company um yeah, it was enjoyable. Yeah, and uh, I read the piece uh, this morning. It's going to be in tomorrow's paper uh, on uh, in Saturday's Irish Times, and uh, like a very expansive chat. You know, it, it not barely, uh, obviously, barely even really talked about uh, the game this weekend, but more about life, more about his kids, more about you know the sort of the coaching he's done through his life and the people he's met. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to disappoint people. That was the way I approached Maliki because. He talks so much about rugby. And during the Six Nations window, he will talk every Thursday when he announces the team and every Saturday after the game at length. And as he does through any of these test windows. But it's so rare that you get a chance to sit down in one-on-one that I thought, you know, the rugby will take care of itself. He spoke about the match at length yesterday. We'll speak about it again after the game. We'll all look ahead to the game on, on Saturday. I just want to get a little bit more of an insight into the, the character. Uh, he's such an important figure in Irish rugby. Um, he's, this is his fifth season as Irish coach. We know his list of achievements, the achievements that have followed him with really, really good players. No doubt about it, he came after Michael Shecha. Had a great time in Irish rugby um, with a golden generation and so forth. But he's, um, you know, much of that golden generation, like the fellow there sitting in the studio and some local O'Driscoll and others and O'Connell have moved on. And still in all, are in their third in the world and going into Six Nations of six-point favourites against France and having won a couple of titles. So... I wanted to get an idea of what he was like, and uh, what came across to me was that you know he's just he, he's still he, he's no ordinary Joe, but yet he is. You know he's, yeah. he's very racked with self doubt, um, depends and leans on others, particularly his wife Kelly and his family, how important they are to him, 
and it's a fairly all-consuming job for him, but how much he loves it and how much Alan has been doing it for now and it's taken over his life apart from his family. Mm. But yeah, it was, it was quite, um, I thought it was quite an interesting chat. I hope you liked it. Yeah, I found it fascinating. Now, Gordon, you obviously know him better than, than we would, you know. Um, I was thinking about this during the week. I mean, one of his great achievements has to be, you know, we're here going into um, a Six Nations and nobody's particularly worried about the Irish team. Of course, you know, you have uh, your your tense, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, there's expectation and all that. But you never worry that they're going to get a hiding anymore or that that things are going to go catastrophically wrong about them. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I think, is a, is a reflection of obviously Joe's job at mm. the at the top of it, but the kind of pyramid underneath him, the mm. foundations underneath him, you know, four provinces all playing um, at, a, at a very high standard, which we probably wouldn't have had when I started playing rugby when, you know, maybe some of those up and down results might have might have happened. You you probably had one province playing well at a, at a, at a time, whereas now, um, you know, one versus one versus four is a much more, uh, a much a much stronger base to, to, to come from. Um, so, I think on top of that as well, one of the things that's probably you know a legacy that he left at Leinster, and just I think uh, guys like Van Gran in, in Munster are going to do, is their ability to give confidence to youth, um, and in the same breath then to get consistent performances out of more senior players, and that's you know and that's and that is a unique gift and uh, coaching. I think probably the two best coaches in the in in the world um, at the moment. I, I'm sure New Zealand have it's the same with. Um, Steve Hansen, but um, Eddie Jones and Joe Schmidt, their ability, their obviously their emotional intelligence, human intelligence to get the best out of their players is, and to get the best out of their squad is, to me, it's like second to none. So let's take it into this weekend. I, I was chatting to you during the week ahead of this, and, and you, you said something interesting. Well, what I found interesting, you were talking about, you know, the unpredictability of the French. And I kind of thought that that was something that uh, spoofers like me would say the week of a France game. You know, we don't know what France is going to turn up. But I found it interesting that you, who have been on the inside of it, who have prepared to face the unpredictable French, can still think like that. Yeah, to be fair, I I just finished a book which has kind of questioned all my decision-making and (laughs) and what kind of biases we we bring into our certainty. Um, But I just look at it, the French, by their very nature, have been traditionally unpredictable and I think they've been moving towards a much more structured and you know almost like an anglicized mm-hmm. uh, approach to rugby I think you know this could be <laughs> I suppose I've been saying this for a few years it actually may materialize now um, with Brunel as the, as the coach I can't see a huge amount of structures being brought into place in this and that freedom to actually taking the structures out of it may actually materialize I for see. this French team and it's kind of, you know, reading some of the sound bites again, he's talking about Ireland's aerial bombardment. I'm not really sure that's the approach that Ireland are taking as much these days, but their possession game has been something that's very, very, uh, has, been a, has been a big part of their development in the last uh, 16 months. But kind of looking through this team and um, hopefully I get, I get his, uh, I get pronounce his name, Yalibur? Yalibur, yeah. Yalibur, that if there's any turnovers in this game, is he going straight to attack from that and is that something that could just change the momentum of games for for the uh, for, for the French and you've got Machinot who's a 95% playseeker so little things like that kind of do worry me if this game gets into any sort of a, an open openness into it that the French these guys aren't burdened by previous uh, expectations and or previous 
I suppose bad results that have been that have been kind of polluted the squad. So this young uh, young pairings in the halfbacks could be could be a catalyst for them. But it, I think Ireland have can control a lot of that. It's just that little what if. Jerry, let's talk about Yadaber a little bit. He, you know, you watch an awful lot of French rugby. Nineteen is very young to be throwing a guy in uh, in the Six Nations. Yeah, I think it's as much commentary on the state of French rugby as it is about the undoubted talents of this kid. Um, they're just, uh, you know, the top 14 is awash with foreign players, and particularly in a position like at half. Um, Francois Tron Duke's game has gone off a bit, and uh, they really, they're down to two kids, Anthony Bellew at uh, Toulon and Matthew Jalabert at um, Bordeaux. Um, he's an extraordinary talent, no doubt about it. He's the uh, French in the 20s, um, out of half from last year when he was 18. Um, he had got a couple of games at fullback for Bordeaux from uh, Brunel until he didn't, and he did not make his top 14 debut at a half until early November. And here he is, um, four months later, playing for France against Ireland in the Six Nations opener. He um, was extraordinarily good that day, away to Toulouse. He kicked seven, landed seven out of nine kicks. Um, talking to a lot of French journalists about him, he is as cool as ice, very driven, very ambitious, um, idolizes Owen Farrell, uh, whatever that's about, <laughs> um, but plays with extraordinary um, flair and freedom, at the pace of a winger. He's got a Jordan Larmer-like ability to go left or right at full tilt without even slowing down a fraction. He um, really has an eye for a gap, very inventive, very creative, very exciting player. And I share Gordon's concerns the nearer this game looms, Mal, because... The French, unlike any other team in the world, can um, shred the form book and the last six months of history or the year history or whatever it is in a moment. You know, if he sparked a pitch lane counterattack, which resulted in a French try, you could see a brooding um, Stade de France crowd suddenly alight and, you know, become very highly charged and motivated exactly like the home team. And then it just becomes a different, different ball game. I think Ireland are going to have to really strangle this match and strangle Jalabert particularly. There's plenty in in that idea and especially, you know, when a kid has come in and there's expectation on him, it, it, it's sort of incumbent on, on the Irish players to sort of remind him, you're 19, you, you don't particularly belong here, that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, there's a, and again, there's a little bit of uh, talk about that and say the targeting of, of Johnny in, 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 in recent years and, you know, there's probably going to be the the reverse, uh, the reverse compliment paid, um, but it probably does put a you know um, Jerry's description of of uh, Yallybird there. That probably does put the Van de Fleer uh, selection into context. If you're having this ten that has that outside break and has that ability to create in it, very much in the Joey Carberry's kind of style, you want that exceptionally mobile number seven in there to try and counterattack it. Um, I, you know, I was kind of thinking about my own uh, this week, my own memories of playing in France and how tough they are across the board. Um, but even in the, I suppose, the shambolic period that France have been in for maybe the last three or four years, we've only really delivered against them uh, once. Um, obviously, win, winning the Six Nations in Paris, uh, we've had a draw previous to that. But if it's not in Dublin, it's been a close, close game. And, uh, and there was huge expectation this time two years ago. We were saying a lot of the same things. We were saying, you know, France are in disarray. The the professional game is a shambles over there. It has destroyed the international team. And, okay, two years ago, the bookies made it a more or less even game. They were making it a six-point game this time. So maybe it has swung a little bit more our way. But, you know, we still lost two years ago. 
Yeah, look, history history is not kind to many teams in uh, in Paris, regardless of how good, bad, or indifferent they are. In the Six Nations, it is the first game. There's all those um, ancillary topics of you know the who's a slow starter and who's a good starter. Like this team coming into it, like thinking of three out halves for France that play reasonably well for their clubs, but then they don't perform when they get up to the international uh, stage. You've got Tran Duke, Talley, and uh, Plisson. Um, so is it more the structures at the international level aren't right to facilitate these? Um, and that, you know, and you know, might be might be uh, guilty of uh, you know maybe thinking too too uh, too widely on this. That um, Yaliber coming in knows the coach, he knows his strengths, and can pretty much just let him play. And you're trying to, and then you know, thinking from a French mindset, you're going to the tight fives. So just saying, just get us the ball. It's a reasonably mobile back, uh, you know, uh, back row, mm-hmm. um, and Ireland are going to want to try and counteract all of that. So it does make for a really, really interesting battle. But it's going to be so close because you've got one team who are probably going to want to try and throw the ball around, and you've got an Irish team who are going to want to play their processes uh, play there you know we talk the, the attention to detail but they're going to want to keep that game as tight as possible you do not want to let a French team get into it because then you're relying on them playing themselves out of it mm. uh, Jerry, the, the Irish team named yesterday I, I think more or less everybody kind of had predicted Van der Fleer coming in alright James Ryan is a bit more of a surprise yeah um, he's a wonderfully athletic um, incredibly mature lad for just somebody who's just turned 21 it's remarkable to think he's only started five games for Leinster and one for Ireland. This is his seventh pro start at senior level. So, you know, even Jalabar has twice had a man's experience. He's played 15 games. But um, Joe Schmidt has, has, you know, when he identifies a young talent that he really believes in, it, it completely gives a light to the notion that he's a conservative selector. And uh, Ryan, Ryan's time is now. He's, he's, he's clearly an investment for the World Cup in 2019. Um, but his time is now, and um, it's a, it's quite a compliment to him. Because I, I genuinely a week ago would have thought he'd more likely to go for Devon Toner, but um, he believes in this guy, James Ryan, and you would have to say that you know probably Devon isn't really suited to be an impact role. But um, yeah, that's what I found interesting, Jerry. I, I kind of, I, I, as you say, um, it was maybe a toss up between the two of them. But I, I kind of just presumed that there'd, he'd have more impact off the bench than than Devon. Yep, I would have thought so as well, and a bit similarly towards Loosehead as well, in terms of Keane Healy and Jack McGrath. Keane Healy would have a bit more of an impact off the bench, but he's going with form picks. Um, James Bryan was, a, you know, started against Montpellier in Leinster's last European Champions Cup game a couple of weeks ago. Like I said, he's a wonderfully athletic player, great tackler, great work race, and um, he probably makes the Irish pack that bit more mobile and dynamic from the start, as does Keane Healy. Um, so it's going to, I think actually it's a very exciting selection, the pick of James Ryan. We're going to watch this kid closely. This is, um, his career is on a rapid rise this season and it's going to take up another level. So what do we think, Arden? We, we'll have to get around to some sort of predictions, maybe maybe not even for the result, but how it's going to go, how you think it. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I think it's going to go well for, for Ireland. Um, I think what they're able to influence, what they're able to control, they, they're going to do their part of it very, very well. Um, there is a little bit of inexperience in it. Um, the November internationals, you know, is probably a slightly different pace to the to the Six Nations. Um, it's a huge amount of expectation on this team, and um, you know that plays into the you know the unconscious decision making and all the from the Irish side, and is probably not as much expectation on the on the on the French team, and maybe a bit more freedom to 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 go and um, play play rugby. Um, so 
like I can't see more than three or four uh, or five points. Like, at, at most five points between between both teams just with the quality of defence from the Irish side there's no chance of a, there's no chance of a capitulation in there um, but sometimes um, with these French teams they can just uh, manufacture scores so um, I'm just looking forward to a, to, the, to the to the game of rugby I think it is going to be one of the better opening games in the uh, in the in, in the championship this year Jerry, I get the sense that uh, if you had to uh, write your game preview maybe on Tuesday, you would it would have been a more confident uh, piece than the one you're going to have to write for tomorrow's paper. Oh, maybe fractionally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now that they have gone with Jalabert to start and so forth, I think that uh, if this was still the French team of the last couple of years under Guy Noves and whatever else, although that you know Camille Lopez is a big loss, that you know I, I still would have been probably more. Less concerned about the unpredictability of this French team. You know what I mean? Less less concerned about that. But the all said and done, I think that unlike two years ago, um, I doubt Nigel Owens would allow Johnny Sexton to be targeted and roughed up as he was. Um, I'd expect a more accurate Irish performance, more clinical. Just take their opportunity. That's the key. I think they'll get put, hopefully apply a bit of scoreboard pressure early on, quietly proud. Um, and I think that they will majorly have learned from last year. Um, that slow start in Murrayfield it would be such a warning to them not to repeat that. I've listened to all the soundings coming from the squad and as Schmidt said in the interview, they're not remotely uh, Six Nations focused. They're entirely French folks and they're entirely focused in that first 20 minutes. So I'd be pretty sure the bus is going to arrive in time this time <laughs> and that Ireland is going to play pretty well from the, from the get-go. And um, also, unlike two years ago, I think that was the, the second of only two games in 16 years of Six Nations that either John Hayes or Mike Ross didn't pack down a tight head. And the way Tyke Furland has emerged in the last two years, I mean, he's now one of the Ireland's three world-class players, along with Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton. And those three individuals and the subtle nature of this Irish team makes you think that really Ireland should win. Yeah, just, I think there's probably one thing as well is maybe not for to be as uh, exacting on the, on, the, on the Irish win, but I think just it is worth noting that the Irish bench is very, very strong. And I think in you're talking in the last thirty minutes, twenty minutes, if the game is in the balance, I think that group of eight players will be much, much, much more capable of, of playing out that playing out a result. Um, maybe not necessarily going to going to chase one or to uh, change a result, but if you are if they are ahead or they just need to keep playing as they are, um, I think that I think the the Irish uh, strength and bench strength in their bench is uh, considerably strong. They come on and do a professional yeah. job. Yeah, just look like something like you're looking at Sean Cronin, you Joey Carberry, Luke McGrath, Tandy, like these guys. When you're talking about impact, impact doesn't necessarily have to change the yeah. momentum of the game. It can be just maintaining a standard, which is which which might be enough. Yeah. Listen, lads, thanks very much, Gordon Darcy. Thanks for coming in studio, and Jerry, we'll let you get on with your morning over in Paris. Take it easy. Cheers, all. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. In the Irish Times weekend, ahead of the Six Nations, Joe Smith speaks to Jerry Thornley about the upcoming campaign, pressures of management and the lure of home. 60 years on from the Munich air disaster, Michael Walker reflects on the tragedy that Manchester United will always remember. And it's your last chance to register for the Irish Times Fantasy Rugby Tournament. The Irish Times weekend. Your weekend's in good hands. It is actually a huge weekend of sport, Pat. There's plenty of other stuff on. There's a Dublin Racing Festival, which we won't get to mention or get to do anything about, but... uh, we're going to be watching on Sunday night. Super Bowl 52 from Minnesota, where um, the winningest franchise in the NFL, <laughs> the New England Patriots, are taking on the Philadelphia Eagles, who have never won a Super Bowl. Wait, what age were you when you first said winningest? 
it was just today. Was <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't much winningest going around Tipperary when you were I going. know, it's a horrible Americanism. But look, <laughs> we're talking about an American sport, so what are you going to do? It was, um, it's actually, a, a, even in, despite what Donald Trump said, I thought it was quite a fascinating NFL season up to now. Mm. And it had the, the shadow of kind of Colin Kaepernick, an absent quarterback over the whole season. And the Super Bowl on Sunday also has the same shadow in it in that the Eagles are coming in without their franchise quarterback. There's another Americanism. Uh, Carson Wentz. Because uh, at the start of the season, the Eagles were absolutely tearing it up and people were thinking, if these guys end up meeting the Patriots in the final, we're going to have, sorry, the Super Bowl. We're going to have a, a, heck, a heck of a game. <laughs> they were such a fun team to watch with Wentz. They were fantastic to watch. Yeah. Uh, they, but... What has, since his injury and since they had to draft in Nick Foles, the backup quarterback, people thought that they were dead in the water, but it was overlooked that they were a very all-round team. Like, their defence is superb as well. And Foles, in fairness, has performed very well throughout the playoffs to get them Mm -hmm. to where they're going. But still, uh, people, it feels like that we're missing out on a potential classic and that we're going along to see the coronation of Brady and Belichick again. Six Super Bowls it'll be for Brady and Belichick. It's outrageous, really. Yeah. And we're also going to see Brady becoming the oldest quarterback to ever win the Super Bowl. He's going to be passing out Manning's record from two years ago. And another absent quarterback, actually, um, is that is Jimmy Garoppolo, who's now at San Francisco, sure. who Belichick essentially wanted to replace Brady with. But uh, he lost out in that particular war and Garoppolo's at San Francisco and Brady's ready to lead the Patriots for another few years. Yeah, I can't wait for it. We actually, actually have an, an actual expert in the room. We have, we, have, we have somebody, we have Jackie Terrell in who is coming on to talk about hurling, but Jackie, you're a huge NFL fan. Far from an, an expert now, Maliki, yeah, but yeah, that. I'm definitely an enthusiast of the game and I love it and uh, was actually in San Francisco there just after Christmas and, uh, and New York as well, so I went to a, a game over there as well. So um, yeah, I love the game, it's a great sport. Um, you know, I love the tactics and the plays and the different dynamics of the game and um, it's something that I just, you know, Started watching and, and started watching college when I had plenty of time and just continued to watch it and uh, started following the Cowboys and and from then you know it's really sucked. Cowboys me in. are your team. Right? Cowboys are my team and they were actually in New York um, on the they played the Giants on the tenth of December so I got to go over to that game. Awesome. Uh, it was freezing over there but it was mm-hmm. brilliant. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been a great NFL season. Like so many talking points, um, the whole Colin Kaepernick thing, uh, the emergence of the Eagles and obviously the dynasty that is New England and 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 what they do and they just. They keep doing it and doing it so well. I sometimes feel kind of out of step uh, with with the sort of general chat that there that there is around the Patriots. I, I, like I know people are bored of them, but I can't I can't bring myself to to hate Brady or hate the Patriots or hate Belichick. I I just I think they're amazing. Yeah, I I can't either. But there is a lot of hatred out there a for lot. them a yeah. lot. And you know you had uh, Deflate Gate and you know. <sighs> Like there's so many things which you know supposedly they were missing with uh, the balls and they were missing with mics and games gone by mm. and Bill Videotaping Bell- other yeah, teams yeah all this sessions. kind of thing like but nothing is ever concrete in that Tom Brady did serve a suspension um, but you know I I I just kind of stand back and admire brilliance mm. and that's what they are um, I could never bring myself to hate Kilkenny either Jackie just so you know <laughs> and, and there are other people in this room who for whom that may not have been true yeah <coughs> Pat. <laughs> Might be any coincidence that I don't like the Patriots either. Uh, well, in, fer- in fairness, I think this one's interesting in that I find the Patriots very easy to dislike on the grounds that they have that the monosyllabic coach, who's a rude coach, that is Belichick, and uh, 
just the fact that they are so successful. Equally so, though, the Eagles are e- easy to dislike <laughs> on the grounds <laughs> that they have the most horrible set of fans in in, <laughs> in American sport, yeah, basically. they have, and, and the team that I follow, the Dallas Cowboys are in the same division as them, and they hate each other. They really do, and most people hate Philadelphia, and Philadelphia kind of have this stigma attached to them that they're, and you see the, the dog masks that they have, mm. that, they're the, that they're the underdogs in, in kind of society in America, and, and their team is as well, and, and, and that's kind of, it's fed into them this year when Carson Wentz went down with the ACL because... You know the whole team galvanized again around Nick Foles, and everyone wrote him off because Nick or because Carson Wentz was so was so good from this year, um, and that's kind of fed more into their underdog mantra, and and they're really coming in now under the radar, and we see we see um you know that the Patriots are favourites, and everyone is talking about them, and uh, uh, it's 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 nicely pies now, really is. There's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of nice matchups, and there's a lot of kind of agendas with it. Yeah, my fa- my favorite question of Super Bowl week. Super Bowl week is the time for for the stupidest questions of the year. But my favorite one all week that was at one point somebody asked, "Did the Philadelphia fans actually boo Santa?" <laughs> That's the level you're talking yeah. about, and they did. All oh, the answer was yeah, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in uh, 1968, <laughs> according to Dave Hannigan, wrote a brilliant piece yeah. in the Irish Times this week. You can find it online. They actually. Um, pelted Santa with so many snowballs he had to uh, run off the pitch. <laughs> uh, and then and that, that, was, that, was, that was in the 60s. That was in the 60s. <laughs> when society was a lot politer. And then less funny, um, you mentioned the Cowboys. In 1999, um, a Cowboys player got, had a horrific injury in a game uh, at Philadelphia and the crowd actually booed him because it was a spinal injury and he had to be left on the pitch for 20 minutes motionless and by the time the stretcher came on the Philadelphia crowd were still booing the stretcher as it left the pitch they also had a jail uh, underneath the stadium for a time as well so they um, lovely people well there you go so you want them both to lose if that could happen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> other than that we're cheering for Justin Timberlake though if that's the case so that's, that's not apparently great. he's not bringing Janet Jackson with him he, he said absolutely not that is not that's happening yesterday <laughs> <laughs> hopefully he's just doing that to, uh, to throw us off the scent what, how cool how big, a, how big a cheer would she get when she comes out like? I'd say all the cameras would be cut in the stadium <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Super Bowl's on on Sunday night. Uh, I I never miss one, and I won't be missing this one. Hopefully, I'll stay awake, unlike last year, but that's another story altogether. Um, we will move on. We have a full weekend of GA coming up. We So, we've heard Jackie is with us. We also have Sean Moran, our GA correspondent, in with us. Um, the leagues started off last weekend, lads, and they were predictably unpredictable, as ever. You know, we build ourselves up to the start of the league with full expectations of, of what's going to happen, and then we're wrong about almost everything. Uh, Galway nearly got beaten by Antrim, for the love of God, uh, or at least we're losing, but uh, not too long left. Um, Jackie, the big game of last weekend was was Kilkenny Cork, and I think because of the result of it, and also the result of Clare against Tipperary, it makes Kilkenny Clare this Sunday probably the bigger game. Yeah, it is a big game, and the margin this year, like I was looking over, four points will get you, will you probably be in relegation, five will get you into a quarter final. So that's that's how tight the margins are. So this is a big game for Kilkenny after losing down in Cork last week, and your home games, Malachy, are so so important. You're looking at a probably a sixty percent win ratio there. So to win your home games, and Kilkenny have three home games, if they could win the three of them or even win two and, and draw one, that again five points and get them into that quarter final. Um, and and that that is important. So it's a big game for Kilkenny, and, and we've had a decent record in in recent years um, against Clare in in, in Nolan Park. 
Um, so yeah, and obviously there's there's stuff wrote out there about Brian Brian Cody during the week as well, and, and you know people people have a short. <laughs> we memory. can say it. We can say it. The 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 Indo Rana piece saying that uh, it's time for time for Cody to go. Yeah, which for me is, is crazy, and I suppose some of the parallels and the things that Eamon was taking over, um, you know, comparing us to a team forty years ago, uh, that was Kerry. Um, it's a different time for me. Brian Brian is the manager and. And it's a fresh challenge for Brian, and Brian will relish this. And how many times has he developed and brought a new team through? And and that's probably what he's doing at the minute. You can see the, the new guys he's bringing. Mm. John, I was I was say, joking with somebody during the week that uh, Frank DeBoer got four games with Crystal Palace for people were calling for him to be sacked. I think uh, Brian Cody probably deserves more than the first game of the league. Yeah, I, I think when you look at the, the, the situation, he's got into his twentieth year. Uh, would it be right to ask the question in general? Does someone going into their 20th year have the energy to rebuild? Because it's a really, it's a, it's a substantial rebuilding program. And it's fair to ask that question, but you've got to look at the, the evidence so far. And, you know, looking at the match in Cork last week, um, you'd have to ask, did Kilkenny notably underperform? Did they, you know, did they look like a, a team that were sort of mentally weary even at the at the start of the season you'd have to say no which was a very competitive match it was a match that, that was on the edge but for one or two things might have gone their their way um as as has happened in the past uh, against cork so i think i saw actually christy o'connor had a stat yesterday that uh, kilkenny took more shots than cork yeah cork just yeah. scored more yeah that the probably the, the the accuracy wasn't wasn't great in some cases for for, mm. for kilkenny but even that's in relation to say the free taking which was a bit wayward i mean you know, in 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 the long run, TJ Reid is back on, on on free, so that's not an issue for them going forward. Um, no, I think we'd need a bit more evidence to counterbalance the last twenty years. Yeah, indeed, but also, I think you're you're right, and and I don't think I know we we're kind of laughing here. I I don't think the the article itself was was ridiculous. I, I mean, headlines can sometimes make articles look worse than they are, as we all know. But um, I think questioning. Questioning Cody is there's, surely not out of bounds, but I think if you're if you're looking at Kilkenny last week and and deciding that Brian Cody was the problem, I mean sure that that presupposes the the idea that or makes out that he has a great team there and he's getting in the way of them when when it's really not the case. Well, it's not, and, and Kilkenny are, are trying new things. They've a lot of a younger panel. Um, with the retirees of Michael Fenley going last year with Kieran Jason Shane Pendergast, added in the fact that Richie Hogan is out injured at the minute, Paul Murphy and, and Colin Fenley are away with the defence forces, TJ Reid is just coming back from an injury. So Kilkenny are down an awful lot, uh, whether it be retirements or injuries. So, you know, that's the hand Brian has been dealt at the minute and he's he's trying different things, particularly in the forward line. If you look at the forward line, take Wally Welsh over and, and, and the other four or five guys, like you, you two of the guys there, Richie Reid and Alan Murphy, who were sub-goalies last year, um, so that just kind of shows Brian is particularly in his forward line. He he he's 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 probably restricted in what he can do, um, and and you can see the fight is in Brian. You see him in the Welsh Cup final. Uh, the desire is there. The hunger is there. So so to to question those things, I think is is is, is crazy. Um, as you say, it's not like he's got his full strength at his disposal, and you know he's doing. He, it's not like he's not up for the fight. So um, I think it was a, a nonsense article, really. Sean, what are we to make of of Form this time of year. Now you, you, we can talk 
we can get excited about, you know, Clare going down to Kilkenny after their win last week. But how much do we do we really know about what Clare achieved beating Tipperary last week? This time of the year, um, you were talking about, you know, the unpredictable predictables or the predictable unpredictables of last week. I think the the thing is with the league, with the championship, we know that every team is going out to win their match. Um, no one's going out to lose a league match, but there are different stages of preparation. I mean, when you mentioned Galway and Antrim, you know, Galway had an experimental team out. You know, you look at Waterford and Wexford last week. Waterford clearly not at the same stage of preparation that Wexford are at. So without out attending training sessions up and down the country, you don't really know what the state of preparedness is or how matches are being treated. You know, you've got as well at this time of the year with the third level competitions. Course, yeah. You know, that's, that, that interferes with, with, with the ability to deliver, a, you know, a, a maximum or an optimum performance. So you just don't, don't really know. There's, there's always interesting um, things to be seen at this, this, this time of the year. But in terms of getting a true test between two teams going all out, I mean, you're not going to get that in, in, in February. Struck me as interesting watching Clare last week and watching Clare over the last few years. It's it's just how how predominant they or how re, how much they've sort of come to rely in an attacking sense on Shane O'Donnell as the point of a spear. You know, he so often has to. You know, their attacks either kind of rise or fall on his ability to pick up an almost an impossible ball and dish it off, or do he's such a such a huge part of it. And for somebody who's not that big, you know, whose who's, you know, real talent is, is getting a pick and moving and turning people, they seem to need another jacket. They seem to need an, another string to their bow up there, really, don't they? They do, and it's, the game they play is quite short, um, and it's these low balls into the corner that Clare do. Uh, and they do when they do it, they do it very well, and Shane O'Donnell is, is brilliant at it. But I'd say Shane O'Donnell is pulling his hair out at times, because I was watching that game the weekend, a few times David McInerney got the ball on the half-back line and he looked for the sharp pass to, to Tony Kelly or that. And you just know that Tony, that Shane O'Donnell is inside making a run because he's so intelligent with his runs and they need to feed that beast an awful lot more. But you're right, I think Tony Kelly needs to be pushed back probably up to 11, maybe put John Ga- or, um, uh, John Conlon in full forward. you see seen when he came in on Mossy Hamill, you know, he, he, he disrupted him a bit, he set up the goal. And I, it, I think what the words you look for, they need a focal, another focal mm-hmm. point of their attack because Shane O'Donnell, he's brilliant and all that, but he's not the most physical player and they need that long ball option. And, and beyond that, he, he, it's funny, when he scored his hat-trick in the All-Ireland Final in 2013, he sort of self, self-deprecatingly said afterwards, well, sure, I need to score goals because I don't score points. Now, that's coming up on five years ago. He still doesn't. He doesn't shoot for points. No, he, he doesn't. He, his instinct is either he looks, can I get in on goal here or can I dish it off to somebody? He, he doesn't, he gets on the ball so much, but he never, you never see him sort of pick it and over the bar, over his shoulder, that kind of corner forward play. Yeah, he's, he's, he has to have forward momentum to take a shot at the goal. And there was a stage in the game last week where he got the ball um, and he could have tapped it over the bar, but he took the man on. The only thing about it, he's so, such electric pace, he nearly always gets fouled always gets fouled and draws a free or pops the ball off. I think he set up three of Cotton Malone's scores mm-hmm. last week, won another two frees. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he gives an awful lot of assists in that. But I think the, the loss of Aaron Shannon too as well, he was a physical, big-bodied forward inside who was able to win his own ball. And that's what's wrong with Clare. When they get that ball, 
coming out of fence, they probably don't have that long option to bang it up that someone will win it in the air, at least hold it up. A big physical guy there, and I think John Conlon could be that guy for them. But and Chandler's gone for the year. That's he's gone an for ACL, the year. Yeah. Absolutely. So he's a big loss to him. Um, so they need someone to dovetail off Shane O'Donnell. There's no doubt about it because they can become a bit predictable if they just have Shane up there on his own. Sean, uh, we'll move on to football a little bit. Um, the Dubs, you know, predictably, I guess, a little bit. Well, maybe not predictably, but they were a bit sloppy in that first half last week. I was at it and they just, it wasn't, I thought the, the Kildare goal after nine minutes was about the sloppiest goal that Dublin have ever given away in the Jim Gavin era. Like, they just all kind of watched it, go, watched the ball go out, thinking that it was dropping wide. And Luke Flynn... Uh, sort of jumped from behind the end line to catch it and stick it past Cluxton. Like, you never really see Cluxton beaten at his near post and you certainly don't see him beaten at the near post when he's still standing. Like, he didn't even make a shape at it. And I thought it kind of epitomised them in the first half. Uh, but in true form, they, they rattled off sort of 2-6 in 10 minutes after half time, and that was the end of Kildare. Yeah, the goal actually, funnily enough, was a companion piece to one that conceded against Kildare in the Leinster final last year, just at the very at the very end. Uh, a ball came in that no one was really looking at, and Kildare uh, uh, got a goal out of it. Um, yeah, the problem for teams playing Dublin is that um, you get a, a good run on them, and Kildare probably should have made more of yeah. what, what they had. You know, the, they had good opportunities, um, and then, but Dublin will keep pushing away and if you're going to dip at all in performance levels which Kildare did drastically enough in the in the second half certainly for the, the third quarter um yeah you suddenly you get riddled and that's and that's what happened you know that the, the it would be interesting to look at how, how often do Dublin um you know pair goals you know you get get one mm. goal and then get another one yeah. and and suddenly you, game is over um, I, I, I think it's certainly often enough against Kildare that it was yeah. in their heads when they conceded the first one last last Saturday night because they just like there was four goal chances in the space of two minutes there yeah. and they and they escaped just with the first two, they yeah. escaped with the first two yeah. and but yeah. you could see when they were taking the, the kick out yeah. Yeah. Uh, after the first one it was just panic like it was yeah. our heads are scrambled here how do we get out of this and, and nobody nobody knew yeah and yet funnily enough in the Leinster final, they started very poorly and they were climbing a mountain, uh, you know, after mm -hmm. about 10, 15 minutes. But this wasn't the case last weekend. They're very competitive and, you know, they looked they looked like they were going to give a good account of uh, uh, of themselves. And they recovered a bit then towards the end of the of the match. But that's the issue for, for, for teams playing Dublin. The Dublin... Dublin's tempo is, is fairly relentless and they'll, they'll keep going. And it won't always turn out well for them, as you, as you said, you know, they missed two goals chances mm. but they, 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 they'll keep going um, interesting fixture for them this weekend they're going up to yeah. up to Oma I, I was looking at at some stats they haven't won in Tyrone since 1997 uh, I think did they not win in 2014 mm. uh, Jim O'Connolly uh, kicked did it they, was that not a draw that they got back for uh, or maybe they won I think I they won You're I wrong. think yeah right. right. a one point win I'm, I'm, I'm with that's you why we have you in Sean I can't yeah. <laughs> I I, 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 I I was at it, and I was at it's. It's really been quite interesting watching Dublin and Oma, um, because uh, during Jim Gavin's managership, Toronto rattled Dublin in the league. Mm. You know, they they beat them in his in his first year. Um, the last couple of years in Croke Park, they were really unlucky not to not 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 to win matches. Um, you know, Dean Rock kicked a free into 
a hurricane last year to draw, to the, draw. The, the match. Um, but up in Oma, like in 2010, um, it was the first sign that Dublin might do something. They went to Oma, the last league match of the season. Um, they, Pat Gilroy's team, Throne needed a result to stay up. And it was never in Mickey Hart's playbook that they should start getting relegated from the league. You'd always prioritise, you know, winning as many matches as you could. Uh, but Dublin clearly outplayed them. They also, they put together the kind of the Rory O'Carroll, uh, Keenan O'Sullivan defensive spine uh, that, that season. And they went on to have a, get to the All-Ireland semi-final, do, do, do well for themselves in, in the championship. So it was it was of significance, that that, mm. that particular result. Um, all the, the one three three years or four years ago I was talking about uh, was was particularly significant because Dublin, if they hadn't won, they wouldn't have qualified for the league playoffs in twenty fourteen, and they wouldn't have won the league mm. uh, th- that year. So uh, it's always um, it's always very competitive, and I think that you know the champions going to Oma uh, Saturday evening in the aftermath of of that very disappointing All Ireland semi final for Tyrone last August. Speak to a certain part of the Tyrone character, the Tyrone yes. people's character. I think so. But I'm surprised at what I hear in, in Tyrone about the um the pessimism and the fact that that not alone I mean the All Ireland semi final was something that went wrong from from an early stage. Yeah. Uh, and I'm surprised to hear that you know that the the People talking about possible, you know, psychological damage of having got a beating like that at the, at, at that stage. I mean, we won't know the fullness of of, of time, like uh, what the the impact uh, was uh, on them. But um, in in Keith's Keith Duggan's uh, big interview with Mickey Hart last week uh, in the Times, which w- w- was very interesting, I, I was amused that Mickey found. A way to sort of put blame a quest, the referee to, to, to blame <laughs> Conor Callaghan for being in the wrong place when he scored the goal. But why wasn't he tracking back? Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, but but I think that there'll be. I think they'll go out to to, to give it a good rattle. But they're you know they won't have Colin Kavna stitching Indeed. together the defence. Um, Dublin look buoyant enough. I'd say it'll be you'd expect it to be a, a tight enough uh, thing. But uh, I I think that. Um, you know, Tyrone will need to address just the the issue of of Dublin after after last summer, and maybe after failing to, to to beat them a couple of times in the league when they had the opportunities to do so. Because, I mean, I think they were five points up last year in the in the league match, mm. and they should have kicked on. That's the interesting thing about how Tyrone have have played Dublin. Certainly, their last couple of games in Croke Park. Um, in general, people have given Tyrone credit because not many teams give Dublin that sort of game. But Tyrone should have won both of those games, mm. both the the one last year and the one in 2015. Like, it was it was Dublin coming back at the end and refusing to be beaten. That that was was the real story of those games. But Tyrone really should have beaten them both times. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting, because Tyrone was such a disappointment last week down in Galway. They were just, yeah. just so... Now, the day was bad, and, yeah. and it's January football, and, you know... A game can go against you and you can get a red card and, and all these things can happen in it. And Tume is a real regional ground. It wasn't even in a, in a sort of a, a, it wasn't even in Salt Hill. So, you know, the thing can go against you. McCurry got sent off, all of that sort of stuff. But they were, they, they seemed very wan or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but that's, you see, I, I think they, you've got to look at the, you've referred to them, look at the, look at the conditions. Um, you know, this time of the year in the wet, Tume Stadium. Um, it's it's not really 
it's not really the the stage for the game Tyrone play at their at their best. Then they lose they lose a man, mm-hmm. get a red red card as well. Um, so I I I don't know. I mean I I won't say give them a pass on us, but I can see why something like that would happen. Mm-hmm. Mind you, you, say like the pitch in Oma isn't exactly well, a magic carpet either, no, uh, no. and how that plays. Tomorrow, so someone suggested to me the the dread prospect of it being unplayable, uh, but um, we'll wait and see about that. We don't really have time in the calendar for that sort of thing no, to we happen. Don't. <laughs> um, listen, Sean, thanks a million for coming in. Uh, we will meet again as the league goes on. And Jackie, thanks a million for coming in, and we will talk to you again. So that's us for the week. Thanks to everybody who came in. Thanks to JJ and Declan behind the desk, Pat Nugent uh, beside me. Thanks a million. Thanks, Matt. And anybody that wants to get in touch, we're sports at irishtimes.com or you can get me on Twitter at Maliki Clerken and Pat at... At Pat Nugent 7. And that'll be it. Uh, see you all next week. In the Irish Times weekend, I created a lot of monsters, Louis Walsh tells Patrick Frame, as he explains why he hates celebrity culture. The smartphone, a modern life essential or a plague on productivity. David McWilliams hangs up his phone to find out. And relax with our weekend columnists, Marion Keyes, Sean Moncrief and Jennifer O'Connell. The Irish Times Weekend, your weekends in good hands.